Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles, please, to Luke chapter number 5 this morning as we continue our series set at Liberty for this year, and we have kind of changed in the phase of where we are in this series by now looking at a few weeks ago at an overview on the disciples, and now we're going to look at several of the disciples over the next few weeks as we get ready through the fall. Can you believe the fall is already upon us? It's already, I mean, look, the blizzards are all like are happening next week, right? It's about to happen, right? Uh, okay, not quite there yet, but uh, it's upon us. The time is short, and uh, listen, it's going to be the end of the year soon, but in the meantime, I'm really looking forward to doing some character studies and looking at some of these disciples, and, and who could we look at better to start a study of the disciples than none other than Peter? I mentioned a couple weeks ago that the Christian life is a life that is full of contradictions, right? You know, to win, you lose, and to, uh, to be triumphant, we have to submit, and on and on we go. Uh, we even looked at in our message a few weeks ago that being a disciple is a contradiction in so many ways. We're to love the Lord and to hate our family. Of course, we know that doesn't mean to have actual active hatred uh, for them, but that our love for God should be greater than our love for anyone else. Uh, to live for God, we must carry our cross. That's a seemingly contradictory statement, isn't it? Uh, that we're to live for God, but if we do so, that we have to carry an instrument that is only signified by death. Uh, before we pay the price, uh, we've got to count the cost. Uh, and we looked at that. These are all requirements of discipleship, and they all seem contradictory on their face, but we realize that when it comes to God's economy, it all makes perfect sense, and we just have to trust Him that that is the discipling life that we are to live. But if there's any disciple who is a living example of contradictions, is there anyone other than Peter that we could talk about? I mean, Peter, Come on, this guy uh, at one point would make you get out of your seat and cheer, and at the next moment, have your head in your hands wondering what on earth is this guy doing? Uh, he's the disciple of Christ who gave the greatest confession, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, and he's also the disciple that is well known for denying Christ three times. He's the one who said, Jesus, I'll go with you to the death, but he couldn't even pray with him a couple hours later. He's the one that swung himself out of the boat and walked on water. And he's the one who swung a sword at Amalchus, trying to take off his head at the time when Jesus was taken away uh, for trial. And he swung and tried to kill the guy, took off his head, and only got a piece of the ear. Thank the Lord that's all he got. Uh, he's the one that one minute words came out of his mouth that led people astounded at his insight. And the next minute, words came out of his mouth that left people shaking their heads. For instance, the time he thought it was a good idea to rebuke none other than Jesus Christ. Peter, I mean, come on. Uh, this guy is a living, walking set of contradictions. As they, you go through the Gospels, it seems like he uh, bounces from one place to the other and to the next and to this one. And from day to day, from hour to hour to minute to minute, you don't even know where this guy stands. And you're just kind of holding on, wondering, what's Peter going to do next? You're on the edge of your seat. Uh, can you relate to Peter this morning? 
in your Christian life? Can you relate to Peter? I think the answer is, well, yes. I think we all can. In fact, I find it interesting that when I ask people or, or you hear pastors ask others, you know, what Bible character do you relate to? And, and you understand when I use the word character that we're talking about real people who are in the Bible. We're not talking about fictional characters. This isn't Disney or Hallmark or anything like that. But when I say a Bible character, who do you relate to? It seems like the one that people say often, or especially if you ask about the disciples, it seems like almost everybody says Peter. I mean, I don't know how many times people say John. I mean, John was, you know, uh, a beloved of Christ, but I don't feel like John. Most people don't say Andrew, and Andrew was one who was known for bringing people to Christ. Uh, you know, what about Thomas? You know, he was the one that had the doubting uh, faith, didn't he? Uh, I, I hope you don't have, feel like you, you relate to Judas this morning. Uh, hopefully, if it is, it's Judas the Lesser. It's the other one, all right, not uh, Judas Iscariot. But as we look at all these, it's always Peter, isn't it? When you think about your own life, it seems like oftentimes I have to say that I relate a lot to Peter, that for one minute I feel like for the Lord I'll run through a wall, and the next minute I'll feel like I bounce off the same wall. I mean, that is what it sometimes feels like uh, as a disciple of Christ. So who better for us to relate to? Who better for us to study as we consider this, uh, this thought process of looking at the disciples and how we are set at liberty through living a discipling life than looking at uh, Peter. But I think we relate to him because of the unstableness, because we look at our own life, and sometimes we can relate to the fact that we feel unstable as believers. And you know, it's fine for us to relate to Peter to a point. I think there is an element of us that's good for us to say, you know, I see myself in Peter. But here's the issue with Peter. Although Peter was very unstable, he didn't stay that way. He didn't desire to stay that way. And you know who else didn't desire him to stay that way? Jesus Christ, his master, the one who he followed. And so sometimes I think we have this romantic idea of Peter in the sense that we see ourselves in him because we see the lack of stability sometimes that we have in our Christian life, and we see that in Peter, and we sometimes relate. But the issue that I have with that when considering myself and what I want us to consider this morning is that Peter had no desire to stay in that unstable state and actually grew by the time you get to the book of Acts. And for us, it's okay to see ourselves in Peter in the Gospels, but we should also see ourselves in Peter in the book of Acts and see how he progressed and see some of that in ourselves here today. So as we begin our look at the disciples for the remainder of our series, I want to give you some good news. If there's hope for Peter, and there was, there's hope for you and me. When it comes to living a discipling life, if there was hope for Peter, and there was, there's hope for you, and there's hope for me. Well, would you stand please for the reading God's word this morning, if you're physically able. Luke chapter 5, we're going to read a very familiar text. Luke chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse number 1. And the word says this, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and I have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, 
and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were the partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, for henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. How did you know they became disciples of Jesus Christ? They forsook all and followed him. If there's hope for Peter, and there was, there's hope for you and I this morning. You may be seated as we continue the message this morning. Thank you for your attention to the word of God. So who was Peter? Who was this apostle, this disciple that we seem to identify so well with? We don't, I think one of the other reasons that we identify so well with him was that he was an everyman. Could we put it this way? He was an average Joe. He was just a normal guy who was living life, who came across Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ changed his life forever. Uh, his name was Simon, uh, which was one of the most common names among Jewish men. Uh, his father's name was Jonah, which was another common name. That's why he was called Simon Bar-Jonah. That bar, that word bar meaning son of. So Simon, son of Jonah, a very common name, a name that you would have found very often uh, in Israel during that time. Uh, he was also a Galilean, which was the most humble of all the Jews. Uh, one historian put it this way, Judeans tended to be looked down upon, uh, or rather Judeans tended to look down on Galileans, viewing them as uneducated and of questionable ancestry. Well, I'd say that's something right there, huh? Galileans also had a reputation of being rabble-rousers as they often took part in protests and uprisings against the Roman occupiers. So a pretty humble man when you consider not someone that was looked upon as high society. Uh, speaking of rabble-rouser, guess what else he did for a living? He was a fisherman. You know, fishermen, sailors. Not necessarily known, again, as high society, more being the salt of the earth, if you will. And these fishermen were rough and tumble, and I have a feeling that Peter uh, had no problem mixing it up. Uh, if there was a problem, maybe he even was hoping there was someone that he could mix it up with a little bit uh, in his previous life, because that's just kind of the way sailors were. And we know sailors' lives. We know sailors' vocabularies. We know all of those things. And of course, there's some generalities with that. I'm not saying every sailor uh, is like that, but certainly it's part of the lifestyle. And I would say, no doubt, as we look at the life of Simon Peter, yeah, that's kind of the way that he was. He was a rough and tumble kind of character. He wasn't high class like tax collecting Matthew. He wasn't an emotional man like John was who leaned on the bosom of Jesus Christ at the Last Supper. Nor was he a zealot like Simon, one who was a political patriot who was out there trying to fight the man, to fight the Roman government. He was just Peter. He was an average Joe. He was just a regular man. In fact, interestingly enough, maybe the only thing that stood out about him was his accent. Uh, you realize that the Galileans had kind of a unique accent, and so much so that he was identified uh, as a Galilean by his accent right before Jesus was crucified. In Matthew 26, 73, it says, And after a while came unto them, uh, him that stood by, and said to Peter, Surely thou art also one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. 
So think about that. So I don't know if he said Pakistan, Havid Yad, or anything like that. I don't know. That's one thing we can kind of have a little bit of an understanding with, uh, uniqueness of accent. But in every way, he was a common, humble, ordinary, average person that's almost like an avatar for you and I to be able to place ourselves onto and say, you know what? I see Peter, but I see me. Uh, sure, I see this guy, but he was a pretty average guy. He was a pretty normal guy, and I kind of feel the same way about myself. And so I look at Peter, and I see myself. But beyond that, you know, he had some qualities that uh, weren't great. He was impetuous. I don't know if you heard about that. Uh, he was not a patient character. He often spoke without thought. One preacher put it this way, uh, Simon Peter, the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. I like that. Anyone relate? Don't raise your hand. All right. <laughs> the disciple with a foot-shaped mouth. Another one put it this way. He spoke from the heart before the brain went into gear. He was full of heart. And some days he said, maybe a little less heart, Peter. All right. And a little bit more uh, activity uh, upstairs before you speak. But that's the way he was. He felt it. He said it. And sometimes that meant the results were great, and other times that meant, well, not so much. For instance, you'll remember that Jesus, after the uh, death, burial, and resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection, that Peter decided, I'm quitting this whole thing. I'm going to fishing. And Jesus came and appeared to them, and he had a conversation with Peter there on the seashore, and he said, lovest thou me more than these? Lovest thou me more than these? And I believe that as he was saying more than these, he was pointing at those fish that were there because Peter had decided he was going to catch fish instead of catching men as he was supposed to. We saw here in Luke chapter five. And uh, he says, yea, Lord. And he said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And finally, by the third time, Peter gets a little bit upset about it. And he gets a little bit impatient. And he says, Lord, you know I do. And then Jesus reveals to him in those last few moments that we have glimpsed for us in John, he reveals to him the way that he's going to die. He said that you will uh, be outstretched and you won't uh, be able to gird yourself. And we'll look at that in a little bit. Uh, but he explains the way he's going to die. And, and of course, Peter, you think he would just be able to accept that and take that. But for some reason, in his mind, the, the, the way Peter's mind worked, as Jesus explained to him how he's going to die, he looks over at John, who's sitting next to him. He says, yeah, yeah, but what about him? Yeah. <laughs> If that doesn't explain church, I don't know what does. It's like, I'm talking to you. No, but what about him? And that's the way Peter was. In many ways, he was you and he was me to the extent that we find ourselves when we first walk with the Lord. This is why this text is so wonderful. This text that I, I've given us this morning because I feel like it's so representative of Peter's life. And it's so early on in Peter's life, Peter having already met Jesus Christ, but now making that firm decision that he will follow, he will give his life, he will be, live the discipling life with Jesus Christ. And this text is so representative of what we see. The contradictions, the complex emotions that Peter has are all found in these few short verses. You see at the beginning of chapter number five and verse number one, what does Peter do? Uh, Jesus is, is teaching. The crowds are pressing upon him. And so Jesus ends up asking and getting the use of Peter's ship to be able to launch out as a little bit of a platform. And so he sits uh, or stands at the edge of the ship. The ship is now on the edge of the water and the people can come. And he has a little bit of a way to be able to see all the people and to speak to them all. And when he's done, he tells Peter, he says, I want you to let down your nets for a draft. And that word looks like draught, but it's the word draft. 
And the reason uh, it is because he's saying, I want you to go and I want you to catch a whole mess of fish. Now, this is where we see Peter in all of his form right here. The, the contradictions, the, 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 the different emotions that go into it. Think about this. Peter has been toiling all the night. That's what it says in verse number five. If you've been fishing all night, you're getting ready to go home and get some rest. And now Jesus says, by the way, let down those nets again. You're starting all over. I don't think maybe he was too excited about that. On top of the fact that Peter had been a man of the sea. Peter was a man who knew his trade. And he knew that if he had not caught during the night, which would have been probably the best time for him to catch fish without the brightness of the sun uh, radiating on the lake, that surely he thought, well, what chance do I have during the day if I couldn't catch anything at night? But look at what he says in verse number five. He says, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. There he is. Peter says, this isn't going to work, but I'll do it because you told me to. I mean, is that not Peter in a nutshell? And maybe sometimes does that not describe us in our faith? Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Lord, I see what you're telling me to do. I just don't know if it's going to work. Lord, I know what your word tells me that I am to do in my Christian walk, but in my own experience and the way I've lived life, it doesn't seem like that's going to work, Lord. But praise the Lord for those who maybe don't understand it all, but by faith say, Lord, nevertheless, at thy word. I'll do it because you said it. I'll do it because you are the one who commanded me to. And it says they did so and they let down the nets and there were so many fish, the net started to break. And they asked their other friends in the other boat to come over. And literally they started to get weighed down by the multitude of fishes. Uh, listen, uh, you let God do the fishing and he can do a better work than we can. Uh, you let God do the work and he could do a better work than we can. You just avail yourself to him. You avail himself to his words and his commandments. And as you are obedient to his call, as you are obedient to his word, as you're obedient to what he says, listen, he's the one that gives the results. And so what happens here? Well, they get a lot of fish. They get a draft of fish. But then Peter, verse number eight, it says, when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying depart from me for i am a sinful man O lord do you realize in one sentence he said a whole lot in one sentence he said he knew who jesus was he called him lord he knew who he was he said he was a man he knew his condition he was a sinful man in that one sentence Peter, the one who just a few moments ago was doubting the very words of Jesus Christ, but yet did it anyway uh, because he knew uh, that there's deep down inside something uh, within him told him that by trusting Jesus at his word, uh, the results would be there. And then he looks at the results. He sees his ship almost being torn to pieces because God has brought so many results in these fish. And he says, <laughs> God, he says, you depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. What an amazing statement that he made. But even as he says that, he was afraid. He was full of fear and astonishment. How do I know that? Well, because the Bible says he was astonished and Jesus told him, fear not. Do you see all these things that are at play all at the same time? He's making this great confession, but he's afraid. He's astonished. He will let down the nets, but he doesn't really understand how it's going to happen because in his own thinking, he knows it's really not going to work. But that's Peter. 
And that's just the beginning. Now, again, he's already met Jesus Christ before, but I would call this the beginning of his journey as a disciple of Jesus Christ right here in our text. But after that, it was a roller coaster of emotions. It was a roller coaster of events, the up and down nature of the unstable and double-mindedness of Peter. And there were flashes of brilliance and flashes of things that were pretty sad. For instance, we see that he watched his mother-in-law's healing. Then he was one of the few who saw Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. He walked on water and sank in the water. He made the profession, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then rebuked Christ, where Jesus had to tell him, Get thee behind me, Satan. He bickered with the other disciples constantly. He ran to the tomb. You remember that he was almost running, competing against John to see who would get there first. And John, a little bit more fleet of foot, got there before, but wouldn't go into the tomb. And Peter says, forget this, move out of the way, and runs right into the tomb to see. And he sees the empty tomb, but he still doubted what he saw. He quit, and he said, I go a fishing. But it was that same man who in Acts chapter 1 boldly stood before the 120 in the upper room and gave direction and guidance to the church that was already established there in Jerusalem. What an amazing man. The ups, the downs, the, 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 the heights, the depths, uh, this roller coaster of emotions uh, that he lived during the Gospels. But yet, you get to Acts chapter 1, and you look through the book of Acts, and you ever been surprised or maybe just really thought about the fact of how different a man he is? When you look in the book of Acts, it's like it's not the same man. It's like it has to be a different person because it's absolutely incredible what he does. He preaches powerfully at the day of Pentecost. God uses him, the one who denied him three times. And don't think that's a coincidence that God used the one who denied him three times uh, at the day of his death, that he used him to preach for 3,000 people to get saved. He was the one who did that. He worked together with John. Let's just focus on that a second. He worked together with John. Well, they were competitive. They kind of didn't like each other. Well, it ends up that they realized they were doing the same work in the Lord, and they came together as true yoke fellows, pulling the same team together, going forward for the cause of Christ, and they healed the lime, the, 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 lime, the lame man at the gate beautiful. Not only that, he refused to be intimidated by the Pharisees when they told him not to preach Christ. Pharisees looked him in the eye and says, you don't preach in the name of Christ anymore. In Acts 5, 29, he gives that powerful statement when Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Where did this guy come from? Where did this guy show up from? May I remind you that it was probably only a 70 or 80 days after Jesus died on the cross that this Peter has now arrived. We know Pentecost 50 days after, uh, but yet even the days that followed uh, and the months that followed, he is an absolutely different man. He opened the gospel to the Samaritans. Then he opened the gospel to the Gentiles, uh, something that was very con fairly controversial to the Jewish believers at that time. The fact that he would go uh, to Cornelius' house, uh, that man of the Italian band, that, that, that army uh, regiment, and that he would go and he would preach the Gentiles. And then when the Jews got mad at him, he went back and defended himself and put the word of the Lord to them and told them, listen, uh, the Gentiles deserve the word of God and the salvation of God just as much as we do. He says, I will go and give the gospel to the Gentiles. This is a man who went from wishy-washy, where you didn't know where he stood, 
where you didn't know from one day to the next or one minute to the next where he was. Now a man firm and a man who changed the course of the church history. But see, when we say we relate to Peter, we never say we mean Acts. Isn't that interesting? When we say, you know, I relate a lot to Peter. And I say, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> The day of Pentecost, boy, I can really give the word, let me tell you. We're never talking about the book of Acts. We seem to relish who he was before the book of Acts. Isn't it strange that we romanticize the instability of Peter? It's almost as if we're trying to give ourselves an excuse as well. It's almost as we're trying to just look at ourselves and say, ah, there's hope for Peter, there's hope for me. There's that title again. But maybe it doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. Because oftentimes we use that as an excuse or as a cover. Well, I mean, I feel like Peter, but you know, hey, Peter turned out okay, as if it just turned out okay on accident. As if he just woke up one day and all of a sudden everything has changed. Sure, the Holy Spirit used him, but the Holy Spirit only used him because he was a willing vessel that was able to be used. This man's life changed completely. In fact, by the time you get to the end of his life, history tells us not only uh, that Peter died on the cross, and we know many of you know that history tells us Peter died upside down because uh, he would refuse to be able to die in the same manner of which his Savior did. He said he was not worthy to die as his Savior did, so he requested to be uh, uh, crucified upside down. But there are some historians who also believe, uh, and there are some traditions that also believe, that before Peter was crucified, he had to watch his wife be crucified. I, even one says this, I, I read this and I wasn't even aware of this, and again, this is not in the Word of God, so take it for what it is, but is this not within the character of Peter? from what we know of him at the end of his life. Tradition says that when Peter saw his own wife led out to die, he called out to her encouragingly and comfortingly, addressing her by name and saying over and over again, O thou, remember the Lord. O thou, remember the Lord. Moments later, Peter was crucified. But he upside down because he told the authorities that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus, his Lord. So how did this disciple with a foot-shaped mouth ever get to such an incredible place? You know, I feel in a lot of ways I resemble Peter in the Gospels, but I sure would like to be Peter in the book of Acts. And if God could use this Peter and turn him into this Peter, could he do the same for us? I almost feel like this morning, if I could uh, invite Peter to come here today, and, and if I was to ask him to sit in this chair and to address us here this morning, and to say, Peter, I'd like you to sit before us. We, we, we remark at the transformation that we see of you. We look at you in the Gospels, and we see so much of ourselves in it, but we see in the book of Acts how you were changed completely, and, and we see how you were totally different. And we don't really see ourselves very much in that, but we'd like to see uh, what the change was. We would like to see what the difference was. And could you just share with us uh, what it was? Could you just tell us your spiritual secret? Could you just tell us of the blessedness that you found so that you became not the Peter of the Gospels, but the Peter of the book of Acts? Because we realize as disciples of God, if we're to be set at liberty, that we can't be up and
secret? Would you just share it with us this morning? Tell us what you did to become the one uh, who became uh, not the first pope. Making sure you're awake, and that's not heartening that nobody said amen. Uh, not the, the first pope but that became the man that we admire uh, in the Word of God uh, from Acts chapter 1 on, uh, the one that wrote even the epistles of uh, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. What happened? I wish you could tell us. The good news is he can. He can. I just mentioned he wrote two epistles, right? 1 Peter and 2 Peter. You know, Peter's very last words recorded in the Word of God are exactly what I believe are the reason that he became not Peter of the Gospels, but Peter the beloved disciple who was willing to be crucified upside down because of his reverence and love for his Lord. Would you do this? Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. I mean, I wish I could sit him in front of us today and have him speak to us, but in essence, he being dead yet speaketh for us today. In essence, we see through the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, what he believed it was uh, that changed his life and what he would command us to do to be able to follow in the same footsteps that he did on his journey, not to relish in the fact that we're unstable like he was in the old days, but that we would grow as he grows. In fact, Look at what it says. As soon as I get there. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. His last words were words of simplicity, but words that I think give us the secret of his life. You know what he did? He grew. He committed himself to grow. In what? In grace. Did he deserve to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? No. Did he present himself in such a way in his early discipleship journeys that would have allowed him to be a prime candidate to preach on the day of Pentecost? No. But he was willing to grow in grace. And in what? And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He grew in grace, and he grew in his knowledge of the word of God, which speaks of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He committed himself to grow, and as he grew, God was able to transform him from the unstable disciple to the one who, upon uh, the early church, was none other but maybe the strongest of all Christians. The difference between the Peter of the Gospels and the Peter of Acts and the Epistles is a man who was willing to grow. This final verse proves to us that there are those who are willing to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And these will turn an unstable Christian into someone who is like Peter. By the way, do you know what Peter's name means? A pebble or stone. What does a stone have? By the way, not rock. Because there were some who say that the church was built upon him. No, that's not what it says at all. That's not what Jesus said about that in Matthew uh, chapter 16 either. But there was some firmness to him. How did he become firm? 
someone who vacillated, someone who was so wishy-washy all the time. How did he become firm? By the way, that name given to him by none other than Jesus, because he was Simon, and Jesus called him Peter. That firmness because someone, he was someone who committed himself to grow. You know what I found? Let's get to the application. You know what I found is often the case? That we get to a point in the Christian life where we have heard it, we've seen it, we've experienced it, and we don't commit ourselves to grow anymore. We don't take the sin that doth so easily beset us and take the time to attempt to remove it by God's help and through God's grace. And after a while, we start to make excuses about why we are the way we are. And when we do so, we are like the Peter of the Gospels, who for one moment we're in church and we're ready to do whatever God has for us. But the other six days of the week, we live our own way. And we're up and we're down and we're up and we're down. And we get discouraged. Are you willing to grow? Are, are, are you willing to live with your temper? Thinking just, it's just the way I am. I've been this way my whole life. I have this temper. It's, listen, people just have to understand that's the way I am. Or are you willing to grow? Are you used to being so impetuous that you feel like it's a strength in your life? Well, you know, I just, I, 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 I see something and I act upon it. Well, the problem is that Jesus tells us, or the Lord tells us that we're to live our life circumspect, which means that we're to be cautious and careful, prayerful. Ephesians 5.15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Are you willing to grow? Are you willing to live with a weak faith that's strong enough to get you out of the boat, but it's not strong enough to keep you walking on the water? You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying try to go walk on water today. Hey, please don't. Best you can do around that, around here is wintertime, all right? And you can, that's ice, okay? But Peter had the faith to get out of the boat. But he have the faith to look at Jesus because he started looking at the winds and the waves and that's why he sunk. But I feel like sometimes we get to the point, it's like, well, this is the way I am. It's just baked into the cake. I've lived like this my whole life. I mean, Lord, you can have all of me, but these characteristics are kind of static. They don't really change. We make all kinds of excuses for why we can't do well this is always the way i've prayed i mean i don't really have much of a prayer life but i i mean that's kind of the way i've always prayed and i feel like god understands or watch this or i can listen to this or i can talk like this or i can do this i know god may not be pleased with it i i see verses about it sometimes the pastor preaches about it but listen I, i've lived the christian life for a while and i feel like i'm fairly successful and i feel like uh, it seems like god's blessed me and i feel like you know my family's in order and, and you know listen what does it matter i mean god wants me to be happy after all right he does and he loves you so much that he wants you to be conformed to the image of christ because he knows that's where the true blessedness Amen. is Oh, no, no, the Christian life isn't about a bunch of do's and do nots and all those things. It's this, I want to grow in my knowledge of God and I want to grow in grace. A lot of those do's and do nots, not even necessary. Once you live the life that God wants you to live. It's almost like as if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Yeah, but we make excuses. Too many Christians are 
okay with being who they are. Even though it's contrary to the word of God, why? And then we make excuses. Well, you know why I argue, Pastor? You know, I, I grew up in a large family. We just we always argued with each other all the time. So it's, it's just the way I am. You know, I'm I'm an arguer. I'm a debater. It's just, you know, if I, we eight mouths to feed. You know, if, if we didn't argue with each other, you know, we wouldn't survive. I've had people say things like that to me before. Now, if I argued with my siblings when I was growing up, it would have been very lonely because I was an only child. What'd you say? Be quiet. No. <laughs> so, well, you know, and people say all kinds of things. Well, you know, you know, I have a temper because I have red hair. You notice how I look right out that way. All right. I'm not talking about her, but I've heard people say, well, you know, I have a temper. It's just I got red hair. You know, I drink. I'm Irish. You know, why do I, why do I do it? People make all these generalities and they say these absurd statements. And sometimes even we as believers will buy into these thoughts and just say, well, it's just who I am. No, friend, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again and gave us resurrection power to be able to be transformed and to live in a newness of life. And if you've been saved one week or one year, or you've been saved for the majority of your life, or even if you're in the, the last portion of your life, you should commit your life. You should commit your very being to growing, to getting out of that phase where you are in that unstable place. And I am in that unstable place. And we look at a man like Peter. Listen, if Peter could do it, we can do it. But it's not because of us. It's not because of the power that's within me or because I'm just so tough or because I can handle it myself. No, it's because of one reason. It's because of Jesus Christ and what he did. You grow in grace, that which we do not deserve. You grow in grace and in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, if he was standing here or if he was sitting here today, what changed in your life? I grew. I refused to always be the one who put my foot in my mouth. I refused to be the one who would bicker with everybody. I refused to be the one who would quit on God. So what did I do? I grew. Did he make mistakes after that? I'm sure he did. In fact, there was one time Paul, who got saved after Peter, had to rebuke Peter to the face, the Bible says, in the book of Galatians, because of an issue with the Jews and the Gentiles. He wasn't perfect, but he was changed. This morning, first of all, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? You know, you know, you can't save yourself today. There's nothing that this church can do for you to save you. We cannot put anything upon your life to save you. You cannot give anything to us so that you can be saved. No, it's what Jesus Christ did in Christ alone. That is all that will save you. It's repenting of your sin and calling upon Jesus Christ to save you. If you haven't done that, I'd encourage you to come forward this morning or to see one of us today so that we can tell you what it means to be saved. But as we consider our own lives this morning, I do relate to Peter a lot. But that's not always a good thing. In fact, the way we do it is not a good thing. It's almost a way of excusing ourselves for our instability in Christ. Peter was set at liberty. He was set at liberty when he grew in grace in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And whoever you are, and whether it's those young people that are in the junior church right now, or whether it's the most senior of saints that is part of Liberty Baptist Church, every single one of us are commanded to grow and to make that journey from this man to the one here who hours before his death as the shadow of his own cross was looming upon his life could say to you and I, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. 
If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in his word.